Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hi, folks. Welcome to episode four of the Athletic FPL podcast Elite Manager Series, in which I'm interviewing the best fantasy Premier League managers in the world to get an insight into how they play the game we all love. Today's guest is Utkarsh Dalmia, who you will know from the excellent award-winning FPL Wire podcast and as a pro pundit at Fantasy Football Scout, as well as on Twitter at Zofar666. Utkarsh is a top, top FPL manager. He's got seven top 10K seasons to his name, which includes a 17th place finish in 2010-11. Looking at his history on the FPL website, it is simply incredible. The seven top 10Ks were consecutive from his first ever season. And in 12 seasons playing the game, his worst rank is 52K. He's never had a bad season, so we should get some golden nuggets in this episode. At the time of recording, Zof is currently ranked 27K, so he's on course for another great finish. There's 15 game weeks to go. He's got all his chips available, plus the second wild card. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks for joining me. It's great to have you on. How are you? Doing great, Mark. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. And thank you for the very kind words regarding the FPL history. You notice there's a big drop after the first seven seasons. Can you have a guess what the reason is? I guess when I was looking at your history, my, my thoughts, first of all, were just the, the huge increased number of people playing the game much more information for the everyday manager. So I have a feeling maybe you're going to say something else. It's Pep Guardiola. Pep has been my nemesis for the last four or five years, ever since he's come to the league, because his players simply aren't nailed on. And the, my biggest mantra in FPL is I have to pick nailed on players, right? And with Pep's players, you're pretty much damned if you do, damned if you don't. You don't buy them. You have the likes of Sterling scoring 20, 20 plus points where everybody else has a captain and you buy him and he gets benched. So. Yeah, I think we are very similar. Some of my most difficult seasons have been in maybe the last four or five years. My, you know, my worst ranks have probably come quite recently. And certainly Mr. Guardiola has played a factor there because I'm like you, very much 90-minute guys. You know, I very rarely have three Manchester City players. Uh, you know, only got two at the moment and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that's a, a challenge me and you struggle with, with, with Mr. Pep. So how did you Absolutely. first get into FPL and when was it? Uh, my brother got me into it. He's a Man United fan. He used to play it previously. So he said, why don't you give it a go? And it's funny, you know, the first two weeks when I played it, I thought it was a bit like championship manager, sort of a simulation. So you need to have a good squad of defensive midfielders. So in my first squad, I had Palacios and Lucas as my midfield anchors because I wanted to give some protection to the back four. Only then after game week two, I realized what the scoring system is like. So game week three, I remember I played my wild card that week and Torres was playing Hull. Got in Torres, captain him, he got a hat-trick and that's when the journey really started. When it really kicked in is when I captained Drogba against Arsenal. Being a Chelsea fan, a huge Drogba fan, Drogba scored a free kick right past the Arsenal goals and that really set it off for me. That's pretty impressive to be able to tell people you have a top 10k finish and you owned Lucas Leva and Wilson Palacios in game week one. That, I think that's one of, might be one of your biggest ever achievements. <laughs> How would you describe yourself 
as an FPL manager? Dull, conservative, boring, but also methodical and meticulous. I'm very process oriented and I'm quite set in my ways, but at the same time, I can't really list out a process for you. It's just something in my head that I go through while making decisions. Yeah, I think we often joke with each other. We always say we're we're brothers from from another mother. We did the, the FPLY Roundtable podcast at, at the beginning of this season and basically all our answers were quite quite mirrored. So again, I always describe myself as well, very boring, don't take too many risks, but you know, we've both had had a lot of success with that as well. So in terms of your play style, you said you're you're more conservative like me. Is that reflective of you as a person? So I work in a family business with my father. And he's very aggressive in his business style, upside chasing. To put it in FPL terms, is taking a negative 16 almost every week. That's his sort of personality. So naturally, over time now, I've been working with him for close to 15, 16 years. So I've naturally become more conservative and risk averse just to balance that out. So that is naturally, I think, translated into FPL. And funnily enough, now my business partner and podcast partner, Pranil, he's also a risk-taking person. So... I'm just surrounded by these guys who are just mavericks. So it helps for me to be a little bit conservative, balance that out. Yes, I always find, I've always found playing FPL, it's good to kind of have, you know, that small circle of people you talk to about your decisions on a Friday, but they shouldn't all be the same kind of manager as you. I know we speak to each other sometimes, but I'll always go to someone like Late Riser as well, just to get that different opinion. I think, I think that's very important. It's good to, it's good to think outside the box sometimes, probably 95% of the time, Myself and yourself will, will still take the dull approach anyway, but it's good to sometimes, you know, just to, just to check yourself to make sure you're, you're playing the way you want to. In terms of overall rank or mini league position, what's more important and, and has this changed over time? It's always been over rank, overall rank for me. And I think my second season really spoiled me. I was in the top 100 in that season in game week two. I was top five going into the final game week. And when you're so young to the game, you sort of feel, oh, this is probably going to be happening to me every season. This is normal. Because that was my first season actually playing properly from game week one. So after that, now it's like, you know, mini league success does, just doesn't cut it. That's amazing. You know, your first proper season, you said you were you were in the hunt for for actually winning it. So is that the season, I've, I've heard people mention before, is that the season where you were in the top 100 for the whole season? Yes. I, I don't think I've ever I've ever spoke to someone who's been in the, in the top 100 all season. So that's, that's amazing. Do you, do you think... I'm going off on a tangent here, but you know you had your 17th place finish, and it's obviously much harder to to get there now. Do you think do you think that can happen again for you, or do you think that's the peak? I think I've actually been maybe I'm a bit more wary now. I was much more maverick back then. I didn't have a lot of these biases towards certain players. It was always just like you know pick three Chelsea players, the rest will pick themselves. And now I've sort of I take a lot of more things into consideration now than I did back then. So I think now it would be a much more difficult process. That was 2010, 2011. I think, you know, you're probably talking easily six, seven, eight million more players now than when, when that happened. So obviously we're, we're certainly up against it. And with every year that passes, it gets harder and harder to get those top finishes, which I think is kind of reflected in your ranks as well. And in mine, you know, the best ones are, are a couple of years ago now. And it's a huge challenge for us to, to kind of repeat those. Definitely. When it comes to watching football, how much football do you watch? Do you have to rely on highlights to get to watch lots of full matches? And are you more eye test focused or stats focused? I try to watch every televised match on the weekend and match of the day one and two. Midweek games sometimes kick off here at 1.30 a.m. So it becomes a bit difficult. I often skip those. I record them and I watch them on a faster speed the next day without checking the scores. In terms of eye test or stats, I think a balance of both is essential. Stats don't always paint a true picture, even with the XG element thrown in. 
I need to see where players are moving off the ball. And I'm a firm believer in body language, confidence, stuff like that that you don't see in stats. Yeah, exactly. And it was interesting there that you actually mentioned the recording games and watching them back at a faster pace, because that's exactly what I do as well. You know, I'm on FPL, work on FPL Monday to Friday. When it comes to deadline, I'm counting down the minutes to the deadline. Phone goes off, laptop goes off, and I, I don't want to see it again until Monday. So a lot of the time I'll, I'll go out and about the weekend with my wife and then I'll record the games. And then when it comes to Monday, Tuesday, most of the time I do know what's already happened. But, you know, that allows me to watch all 22 players rather than focusing on just the players I own and hope they're going to do something. If they've already blanked, I can put my eyes elsewhere. But, yeah, I think nowadays the world we live in, to sit down and watch a game live, it's it's two hours. You know, by the time you take in half time and a bit of analysis beforehand and after, it's long. So I like the recording because you can watch it in about 65 or 70 minutes, I find. You know, you speed up the throw-ins, substitutions. It makes you realize how much time is actually wasted. I would actually like in the future to see football get reduced from 90 minutes maybe slightly down to you know to the 70 or 80 mark I think it would make it more exciting and, and more entertaining so yeah interesting that you mentioned that sticking with stats what stats do you use in your decision making and where do you go to find those stats so I rely on the fantasy football scout members area I have my own custom stats table I like to look at all the underlying numbers shots in the box open play chances penalty box touches etc, etc. So I don't like to go to XG as like, you know, a one size fits all metric. I need to see a lot of underlying numbers. And I also like to look at trends over the past two weeks, four weeks, game weeks. Are these consistent? Keeping in mind the teams they have played, stuff like that. Yeah, again, the similarities between us are, they, they keep showing up here. I've got the exact same <laughs> custom tables. It just makes life easier and saves time. You don't have to scroll through the different sections. And again, I've got very simply, I've got three custom tables, defenders, midfielders, forwards, and like you, I'll look at the current game week then I'll look at the last four game weeks and I'll look at the, the season. And sometimes I'll even go back and, and look at previous seasons as well just to remind myself of, of what individual players did and maybe compare them to the season. I don't go too deep on the stats, but I certainly watch those games first, go to my stats tables, which doesn't take long because they're already catered for me. I've got my, again, the kind of analog stats, your shots in the box, shots on target, chances created. And more recently, I've added in, you know, expected assist, expected goals and all that kind of stuff. So you mentioned expected data there. So I'll move on from that one. Do you use your own statistical model, which a lot of people seem to be doing nowadays? No, I'm nowhere near that smart. But going just going back to the XG thing, I just wanted to mention a note over here. I'm very conscious that XG is not equal for all. An XG of like 0.8 for, let's say, Jota is not the same as an XG of 0.8 for Sun who I rate as a significantly better finisher. If I see Sun getting a 0.3 or 0.4 XG, that holds a lot more value for me than someone like Jota getting that. So I, yeah, I, I always mean, calibrate my thinking in that sense. And I also am very more interested in team XG. That's something I always try to read along with their XG because I think a team XG gives a bit more clearer picture of how the stat is really intended more so than player XG because player XG can often be just from like, Guy maybe even having two shots. You could see a guy having inflated shots. If he hits the keeper, the guy gets a rebound and he has a second attempt. He might end up with a 0.8 XG, which is effectively just one shot. It's a bit distorted. Yeah, exactly what I do as well. I always think if you've got two players, XG of 0.5 each, but one of them is a 100 million pound striker and one is a 20th placed Premier League striker who costs 100,000. I don't rate those equally. So you've kind of got to put your own slant on things always, even, even with those expected stats. So moving on from a statistical model like you, I'm not clever enough yet to, to make that. 
What about algorithms? Do you use any of those things like rate my team, points predictions, FPL review, and Mikkel Talk Farm's transfer algorithm, which I've mentioned quite a few times and I've finally signed up to it myself. So been spending the, the break trying to get my head around that. So I've been using the RMT tool at Scout. I also use FPL review and Mikkel's algorithm. I've been a member of Mikkel's thing, I think pretty much since he started it. But it's often just more to sense check what I want to do. Because they sometimes throw up an alternative or something that is going under the radar. But I think these algorithms sometimes have inherent weaknesses. They take longer to spot a new player doing well or someone who has done poorly previously and then has a sudden spurt of form. Something like Lingard last season, he took very long to show up on these algorithms because of his numbers in previous seasons, which counted against him this year, last year rather. So it is important to recognize that and use them as a part of a decision-making process and not the single guiding factor. That's exactly what I find myself doing so far. I mean, I signed up to Mikkel's algorithm on Patreon about two weeks ago. And in the last two game weeks, it's basically, haven't really looked at it until maybe an hour before the deadline. I've already done all my research, my usual stuff. And then it's just that little sense check. Is the, the, the player I'm bringing in or the player I'm going to captain, are they right up there near the top? And if they're not, then it's maybe time to just question myself one more time and see if I am if I am doing it. For me, it's it's very much it's it's almost just a bit of confirmation bias you're looking for. You're looking for the decision that you've kind of already made, just to see that player's name right up there, and then it's just safe to go and hit that button. When it comes to team value, do you build it by making early transfers, or do you wait until after the press conferences on a Friday to make your moves? So the last two seasons have been different. Because of COVID, I've waited till Friday to make transfers. The exception being when I raid sold Diaz after his benching for Chilwell, and I immediately got punished for it after Chile getting injured midweek. Otherwise, in the first half of the season, I do traditionally focus on team value, especially if the player isn't playing midweek. So if I see a big swing happening where the guy I'm selling is falling by 0.2, the guy I want is rising by 0.4.5 swing over the week, I will usually make the move. If I'm slightly unsure about the transfer though, I will wait purely so I have more time to digest the information and go through a different thought thinking process. Because my thoughts on Monday will, will very often be very different from my thoughts on Friday when I've had the time to switch off, detach and look at things more objectively. Yeah, and just you maybe think about something there that I started doing a couple of years ago. I picked up the chip from from Tom at who got the assist. It was basically on a Monday morning or a Sunday night, get out a notepad or a post-it note and just write down your initial thoughts on what you're going to do with your transfers this week. And being a patient manager, then, you know, I'll come back to it on Friday, again, maybe an hour or two before the deadline. And I'll see, is my current plan the same as it was last Sunday night or has it changed and, and, and ask myself why has it changed because quite often your first gut instinct is the right one and then you know you, you get caught up in in bandwagons and stuff like that during the week in the social media bubble it's nice to have that little reference point from four or five days ago and just to just to check yourself again I guess when it comes to planning now let's forget about the last couple of COVID seasons because it's it's been very hard to plan, but let's go back three or four seasons. How far in advance do you plan ahead? My usual benchmark is five to six game weeks, but it different, it's different for attackers and defenders. In defense, it's usually longer term. My strategy with defense isn't really fixture dependent. I usually buy three premium defenders with attacking potential and I'll stick with them for a longer period. The guys from your Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City. Fixtures don't really matter for these guys because often in the big games, you see the nil-nils. 1-0 sort of fixture happening. With attackers, I tend to pick and stick with my premium options and it is the cheaper guys I usually shuffle around based on the fixture runs. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm very much short-term planner. Uh, I always know, you know, fixture-wise what's coming in the next six to eight game weeks for certain teams. I know which teams have good fixtures coming up, good good and bad. I know when the fixture turns are coming. But when it comes to transfers, I'm very much, I don't go much further than two or three game weeks because because we know how, how quickly things change, especially when you're in the, the nitty-gritty of the season and their Champions League and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, always having an idea of, kind of which teams I want to target. And I've, I've always got that watch list there as well of, of my, you know, small pool of players that I'm interested in. Looking at player ownership and effective ownership, do they influence your FPL decisions? It plays a huge part in it. And I believe that FPL is a game you play against other players. So I will always try to ensure myself against effective ownership. It's the reason I brought in Dennis this week. If a player with over 100% EO in a week has potential to go for go big, and I have the chance to bring him in with one free transfer, I will always go for it. Worst case, he does poorly, I'll, j- I'll just maintain the rank, but the downside is massive if yeah, he does yeah. go big. I, I guess that's maybe one of the, the, the one and very few differences between us. You know, I, I I try as much as possible not to look at ownership and effective ownership, but it's, it's so much harder nowadays because it's all over social media. Every FPL article you read, they're talking about ownership and effective ownership. That was a good example. I was going to ask you about Dennis because, um, you know, as soon as you start talking about protecting yourself, it sprung to mind that you, because we were in a quite similar position going into the game week with with the double Watford. I had we both had had King. Uh, I think you brought in Dennis then to go alongside King, but I decided not to. And I just I always try and play without fear. And, I, and you know I think I you know maybe saving a transfer or something like that instead. But it is it is scary. You know I, you know so many people captain Dennis and I I got a lucky break with the red card on another game week. You play that game week out a hundred times, and there's going to be a lot of occasions where Dennis scores maybe in both games and really damages my my rank. So yeah, there, there's a slight difference between us, but but I totally understand the protection thing. And I, and I didn't do it on that occasion, but I've certainly done it in the past. And as much as I say, you know, I don't look at ownership, I try not to let it impact me. It, it does. It's impossible not to. And there has been times where maybe I'm, I'm without the most popular captain for the game week, maybe Ronaldo on, on occasion this season. And I do go out of my way then to try and get him, even if it's a minus four, because Quite often, FPL it's about it's about not losing as as much as as winning. You know, it's it's much better to to get a, a grey arrow or a very small red arrow as opposed to you know leaving yourself exposed to that huge red arrow. And, and Dennis was a good example of that. How many hits do you usually take over the course of a season? Do you have a specific rule or approach to taking those hits? And in what circumstances do you feel a hit is justified? So it's hard to put a number on it, but I generally detest taking hits. I would usually say four to six. And I think the fewest I've gone to, I went one season with, with taking just one hit. I think maybe, the, but that was quite some time back. But in terms of like, you know, the approach to taking hits, I'm very picky with the players I bring into my team. And this isn't a normal season, right? This year is different because you have things just cropping up in the short term, double game weeks coming up without announcement. So I, like this season, I brought in Trossard. It's not something I would do in previous seasons, but just seeing that like, you know, the only limited pool of players who have doubles, I went for him. So generally, since I'm very picky with these players, I tend to show a lot of faith in them. I rarely sell them for a hit unless they are injured. The only time I do tend to take hits is for doubles and blanks. But even then, the maximum I think I could physically see myself go would be a negative hit. Beyond that, I would have sleepless nights, I think. Yeah, again, we're quite similar. We're, we're patient with players. We tend to buy them and hold them for maybe longer than some other people do, which reduces our reason to take hits and make lots of transfers. And I think... A lot of the time, the way I think about FPL is, you know, you, you see people every game week talking about variance. If it doesn't go your way, they talk about variance. And very often, 
you know, a different manager to me and you, if they get hurt by the variance in one game week, they'll straight away sell that player, maybe go to the player that did well, and then it flips right away the following game week. Whereas I always think, you know, you, you let, we, we play FPL, but often I think you need to let FPL play you in a way. You kind of let the variance come around. And if you're patient, it will come and hit you and, and, you'll, and you'll do well out of it. So that's why I prefer the, the patient approach. You know, when I buy a player, I always try and think, is there a chance I'll keep this player all season? And, and if there is, then I'll probably go ahead and buy them. And because I have that thought process when I buy them, there's, there, you know, I'll be a much more patient manager with them. Even if they, if they give me three or four blanks, I've, uh, there's a good chance I'll still have some faith in them, whereas, whereas other managers might be a little bit quicker to get rid of them. And I think when you have that long-term approach, it just means less transfers and less transfers means less points hits. And then, you know, it's just, a, you know, I find less hits you take for me over the years, you know, the better I've done in those seasons. And I think a couple of seasons I've made, you know, I've averaged probably about one transfer a week. You know, you're talking 38 or 39 transfers over the course of a season. I think my, my, my three top 500 season finishes, I made around 40 transfers in all of them. So that the patient approach really worked in those, in those seasons. Talking about chips, how do you usually use the FPL chips, bench boost, triple captain, and free hits? And do you tend to use the first wild card early? So I want to be confident of my picks, especially in defense, which is why I usually keep the first wild card to the second international break. By then, we have a clear picture of form, starting lineups, and we also have the European fixtures that play out. So you have an idea of which players are getting rotated and stuff like that. In terms of the other chips, it's nothing really special. Bench boost, triple captain, free hit, as per how the double game weeks fall. This is what the usual guys have said, bench boost right after a wild card, etc. But this year, obviously, it might be different because the landscape is completely haphazard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm not really touching on this season specifically in these podcasts, but because we're both in a position at the moment, we've got we've got all our chips left. We've got 15 game weeks to go. Do you have, I know we're still waiting for some fixtures and stuff, but I'm interested to hear if you have kind of an early plan for your chips this season. I'm tentatively looking at free hit in 27 because I have already have like, you know, two, I think two Liverpool players are probably getting a third. I have an Arsenal player. And the way it's looking at, we might have some doubles in 26, some in 28. Now, obviously, since we have two free hit chips this season, which is also something new. So I'll probably use one then in 27 and then one my other free hit chip in 30. Probably wildcard somewhere around 31, 32. I don't like wildcarding in 34 or 35 because I think that's too late. You don't get the entire value of the wildcard in just three to four weeks. Triple captain will be whenever Salah has a double. That's about it. Yeah, I just wanted to hear your thoughts because I, I guess they were going to be pretty similar to mine. I'm the same. Triple captain Salah, that decision's already made whenever his double game week is. Bench boost, I hate the chip, so I'm not going to be tied down by it. I'm not going to hold my wildcard till 35 just to play a bench boost in 36. If I feel I need to wildcard earlier, I'll do so, and I'll just play the bench boost sometime, even if it's got quite a few single game weekers. And then, yeah, like you, give me 27, looking like free hit, because I've got two Liverpool. Salah's going to come back in at some point, and I've got two Arsenal. I've got Martinelli and Ramsdale, so... 27 is looking good for one of my free hits and then I'll keep the second one for the, for the unknowns. Yeah, good just to touch on that because I knew we were in a, in a similar position. When it comes to captaincy, do you have a specific strategy for choosing your captain each week? Basically, how do you approach captaincy in FPL? So traditionally, it's always been about a premium asset from the title chasing sides, preferably playing at home against a bottom six side. But I traditionally like to back the player and not keep changing based on fixture. 
it used to be early on always captain aguero always captain van persie and suarez so i've been very comfortable since sala has been back it's just been the always captain sala every week yeah we're we're recording this during the 2021-2022 season and and mohamed sala is currently away at the african cup of nations and it's been a horrible time because the first half of the season was you didn't even have to think about your captaincy. And since he's gone, I've certainly had a few red arrows because of, of poor captaincy return. So looking forward to having him back and certainly looking forward to giving him the triple captain as well. Next couple of questions are related. So I'll bunch them together. How much time do you spend on Twitter, Reddit, FPL websites and forums each week? Are you active every day? Do you listen to FPL podcasts or other football podcasts? And do you consume any YouTube content with regards to FPL? And how do you manage the overload of information available to us these days? So I'm on Twitter every day. So yes, I'm constantly engaging with FPL content while the league is on. However, when there is an international break, sometimes I just delete the Twitter app from my phone for a week or so. I also had tried to have a practice of keeping my phone away for an entire day on at least one Sunday a month. Sort of like, you know, digital detox sort of thing, because otherwise you just become a slave to refreshing your phone constantly. So you need to break that habit. So in terms of consuming FPL content, I watch a lot of YouTube primarily on my TV. I'm traditionally a big binge watcher. And I've, now with all these lockdowns, I've pretty much seen all the shows that are there to see on Amazon, Netflix, etc. So I've been watching a lot of FPL content on my TV on YouTube. So I enjoy that. In terms of managing the overload of information, I have a pretty strong filter in terms of information I find valuable. Working so much in the content aspect of things with the podcast, writing for Scout, etc., I really, very rarely come across information that I don't already know. And I also have my pod buddies, Late Riser, Big Man Bucker, my friend Baker also from the Above Average Pod. They keep me so well informed. I really don't need to go to many other places for information. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I, I because it's my full-time job, I spend, you know, more time than I would like to on social media because social media in general, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of, but because it's work, I, I have to be on there. But I, like you, I, it's, it's all about a filter. I think filter is very important. You know, I'll, I'll scroll past 20 FPL articles easily before I click in and read one. You know, I, I, I actually don't read that many because like you say, I'm, I'm doing the research myself. I'm watching the games and you can very easily become, becomes all consuming. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe previously I, I would have listened to too many FPL podcasts, read too many articles. And by the time it comes to Friday, you just, it's decision per, you know, paralysis because you don't know what to do. So yeah, yeah. Very important to have a filter when it comes to FPL information, especially nowadays. And I like your digital detox as well. Yeah. One Sunday a month. That's, that's a great idea. I, I use an app just to, freezes me out of certain accounts between you know certain times a day or certain days a week so that's that's something people can try as well yeah we don't want to become those slaves to refreshing because i certainly was one of those for a long time this is one of the trickiest questions to answer but people seem to enjoy me asking it skill versus luck in fpl what's your views on it and can you put a percentage on it for us so i think the answer would be different depending on the time period I think, I think over a season, I don't believe the phrase that luck evens out. You can constantly be on the bad end of luck over a period of 38 game weeks. So over a single season of 38 game weeks, I would say it's 50% skill, 50% luck. For example, I think getting into the 60 to 70 way requires a certain amount of skill. Beyond that, I think the difference between a 5K and 50K finish is where luck plays a significant part. 
And also because you have so much information and educated players now, I think luck plays a greater role than it did possibly like, you know, three to four year, years earlier, because that's sort of become the differentiating factor. But over a period of 10 years, I would say it's 90% skill, 10% luck. Yeah, totally agree. It's, it's the long-term thing. And I, that's why whenever someone asks me about skill in FPL, I point them to Elite 64. I say, go to that mini league, look at the ranks, not from this season, look at the ranks for the last 10 seasons. And, and you know, nine or 10 consecutive top 50K finishes. To me, that's that's skill at, at a very high percentage. And, and then again, short-term, uh, a lot more luck involved. We've seen it recently. People found themselves in a scenario where they were almost pushed into buying Bruno Fernandes and giving him the armband. He gets 46 points after doing nothing all season. And the Ronaldo captainers get four points. So, you know, that in terms of rank, those 40 points is, is absolutely huge. If that happens, if you're on the wrong side of that two or three times in a season, you can be 200K as opposed to, to top 50K. How do you cope with a bad game week? So I think there is a difference between taking FPL seriously and taking FPL emotionally. FPL isn't an investment where you get 10x for every 10y you invest. Like, you know, somebody, you go to the gym, you work out for one hour, you see one hour's worth of results, etc. It's not equally the amount of, if I put one hour into it, it's not like the additional amount of time I invest into it is going to see necessarily tangible gain. And that is really what we invest into FPL, right? Primarily at time. So what I've learned over time is that we are simply not in control. There's simply so many variables at play, which we cannot foresee. Just to give you an example, I used to be a pro gamer in my early days. I used to play Counter-Strike professionally. I represented India at the World Cyber Games in Korea and all that stuff. So that was, I know, that a very skill-based game, where the variables were in my control. They simply, that's not the case over here. So I did this video with John T. This was my first piece of like FPL content, the Meet the Managers video. And I maintain that from that day, the players score the points on the pitch. I don't do it. I'm just putting myself in a position to get lucky. Sometimes I'm on the right end of variance. Sometimes I'm not. So I enjoy it when I do get lucky. And when it goes against me, I just like, you know, when it goes against me, I just brush it off as negative variance because I'm confident in my skills and ability as an FPL manager after 12 years of playing the game. Now having one bad week or even one bad season isn't going to change that. I also believe in my decision-making process. So if I have made a decision, it was for the right reasons. And I very rarely have decision regret. Like you mentioned Bruno, and I think it's a good example over here. I simply couldn't afford him without a hit. And based on the information at the time, I don't think it warranted a hit. He hauled big time, but I generally didn't have even a one person bit of regret about not buying him at the time because the information and the circumstances did not warrant it. Yeah, I was exactly the same. And when you go, you know, I had Ronaldo captain, disappointing, no Bruno. Obviously, it's, it's very, very annoying and frustrating. But when you go back to the to the couple of hours before the deadline, if I was back there 100 times, I probably would have bought Bruno on zero occasions because it, it just simply required too much surgery. Does your profession help you in any way to make better FPL decisions? To a certain extent, I think it's made me more methodical and more patient. And I think patience is possibly one of the most underrated skills in FPL. Yeah, totally. And I think I think me and you are right up there as as the best at being patient. You know, we'll take we'll take the Bruno Fernandez punches on the chin and we'll just we'll just lie there all week with our with our bruises, but we won't react. We won't get up and and fight back by making early transfers or taking minus fours. We'll just let it play out. And by the time it comes to Friday, where the bruises have healed and ready to go again without without having made knee-jerk decisions. Is there anything 
that you do that you think most other managers don't do, which gives you an edge? I think you said this on our roundtable on the FPL wire, managing yourself. I think I'm pretty good at managing myself and I think that helps me a lot. Yeah, it's, it's something I've really had to improve on over the last couple of seasons because I was one of those managers who was guilty of, of you know taking the game too seriously, beating myself up when when those things were, that were out of my control, as you say, you know, happened. And, and it's just, uh, I think it's a process. A lot of managers who, who get bitten by the bug, you'll probably reach a peak where you're too heavily invested. You kind of climb the mountain and you kind of need to kind of slowly go down the other side as a more, you know, less emotional about the game. I often think as well, you need to, I remember Ben Crellin tweeted about it one time about, well, you almost have to be like a robot. You've got to play the game like a robot without feelings and without emotions. Whatever happens in game week three, leave it in game week 23 and then just start again in game week 24. If you get too emotional about things, that's when bad decisions start to happen. Do you have any weaknesses in your game that you're always striving to improve on? I'm sure this is something you will also share with me. I think sometimes we can be too patient I'm very loyal to players I consider to be good or that have done well for me in the past. Sometimes there's a big fixture swing that requires hits to capitalize. And I often find myself two to three moves behind because I'm just using free transfers and fixing the weakest link in my team instead of being aggressive and going for those players with the fixture turns. It happened with Lingard and Ian Acho to the second half of last season. Like, you know, I just had some injuries. I never really ended up taking a hit for Lingard. And he just kept racking up the points nonstop. So... Being patient and being too patient, there's a very fine line there. Yeah, 100% relate to that. I was too patient on Lingard as well. I was also too patient on Holden Ramsdale last season. And I'm as we record, I'm actually fearful of being too patient with Lucas Dean. You know, he's just signed for Aston Villa. I had the chance last week to sell Alonso, who was playing Tottenham, to get Lucas Dean, who had a good fixture. But I decided to bank a transfer instead. And Luca Dean went out and got 12 points. So there was instant regret. He's got good fixtures coming up, but there's a couple of double game weeks coming now. So I'm probably going to focus my transfers elsewhere. So I feel like in, in four game weeks time, I could be looking back at Luca Dean. He could have scored 50 points in those four game weeks. And because I'm a patient manager, I might've missed out on them. So maybe that's something I need to try and maybe improve on as well. Do you see yourself retiring from FPL anytime soon? The only day I start, retire from FPL would be when I stop watching football and I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I always joke to my wife, you know, I, I can see myself with the walking stick in the, in the nursing home when I'm, when I'm 95 years old. I uh, probably won't be playing FPL on a, on a phone at that point. God knows what we'll be using. Uh, some kind of AI or something will be making my decisions for me. But certainly <laughs> my, my goal in life is to win this game before I die. And that is... If that means playing until I'm 95, I'll, I'll still be there. I'll be still be there regretting my, my captaincy decisions. I'll finish with this one. What's your favorite FPL memory or memories? I think it would be the entire 2011 season. I was in the UK for my master's degree in London. I stayed very close to Stamford Bridge, just about 20, 25 minutes away. We won the Champions League that year. So that was just a surreal experience that whole season. And I visited Anfield, the Emirates, White Hart Lane, Old Trafford. And it was just a surreal feeling seeing the players in your team in the flesh. It's not something I've ever experienced before. So that that whole season is just etched in my memory forever. Was that the season you came 17th or was that the season after? The season after. Season after. And you still got a top 10K that, that season. So do you think, you know, you, you were able to get to lots of games that season? Do you think that helped you uh, in FPL that season? 
it did and it didn't because I made it a point like even if I'm watching a game, let's say if I didn't have any players, if I'm visiting the game, I would take a hit and get at least a couple of players in. Yeah, yeah. And that, I, you know, I live in the UK, but I'm in Glasgow. So it's, it's a bit of a drive, you know, it's probably four or five hours for me to get to any Premier League games. And I, I don't go to as many as I, as I should. But in a way, I think it's a good thing because I've only been to one game this season. I went to see Ronaldo's homecoming. And what did I do on Friday night? Took a minus four, got Ronaldo, made him captain. So I think I would, I think I would fall into that trap if I was going to a game at the weekend. You know, Burnley versus Watford, I'd probably taken a minus four for for Dwight McNeil. So it's probably a good, a good thing that I don't go to too many games. Thanks very much for joining me, Bukarsh. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Best of luck for the rest of the season. Keep smashing it. I hope you enjoyed this episode, folks. Make sure to check out the FPL Wire podcast and follow Utkarsh on Twitter at Zofar666. Episode five will be recorded soon, so make sure to hit subscribe to the podcast to get notified when it drops. Also check out the first three episodes with Heisenberg, Abdul and Craig if you haven't already. They are great. Talk to you soon, folks. The Athletic.